Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Get Into It podcast. My name is Tamia. My name is Raina, and let's get into it. Let's get into it. So before we get into the episode, we want to say Happy New Year. This is the first episode of 2021, and we hope everyone had a fun and safe New Year this past week. Likewise, likewise, I hope you all had a blessed holiday season. And today we're going to unpack something that is, you know, I think a little difficult. Um, Before we get into that, I'm just going to introduce what we're going to talk about, and then we're going to get into the high lows. So today's episode is about imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome in like, you know, Google definition is basically a psychological pattern in which individuals doubt their skills, talents, or accomplishments, and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. But before we get mm-hmm. into that, we're going to get into the high lows of the week. Um, I'll go, I'll, I'll kick things off. Go ahead. Go um, ahead. I would say my high, I had some really good black eyed pea soup like yesterday on New Year's Day um, with a family friend. So that was really nice. I like that. She makes the soup every year. So I'm very excited and it was really good. I went back today and got some more. So that was good. Tasted mad good. Um, My low, I definitely lost my debit card Mm. and I had missions to make. So I was over here like, you know, some of these places don't have Apple Pay. So what am I going to do? I had to call up Tamiya so she could take out some cash for me. So that was a little, that was just a little frustrating because I was trying to do things and like I just couldn't do it. So mm-hmm. that was definitely my low. Okay, so my high was um, I know we all miss going out and being able to celebrate New Year's and everything with our friends going out to parties. But I enjoy just being in with my parents bringing in the new year doing the countdown and then being in bed as a, at a reasonable time mm-hmm. so that was my high my low I'm gonna bring it back to episode one real quick mm-hmm. and talk about this sleep schedule because I don't know why I've been falling asleep at 4 a.m but it's still happening and I'm sick of it so I'm about to order some melatonin or something because it's at this point, it's ridiculous. So mm-hmm. that's my low. I feel that. So Raina, you had intro imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I did. Indeed. So like Raina said, you know, imposter syndrome, it basically comes down to the fear of being a fraud. Mm. And I feel like my imposter syndrome, when I recognized that it was imposter syndrome, started in this good old town of Maplewood, South Orange. Whoa there, what a word. What because, a word. Because um, we kind of touched on this in episode one, especially in Columbia High School, there is a um, competitive culture that mm-hmm. is like, it's very prominent when you're going through your four years at that school, I feel like. Uh, people want to be the best. I mean, as you should, you should strive to be the best possible version of you. But it's kind of like, if you're not doing something up to a certain caliber, you know, you're mm-hmm. less than. That's how it feels, at least, when you were at Columbia. Well, for me, personally. So um, I think my first time I recognized that I was experiencing imposter syndrome, or looking back, it was my most prominent experience of feeling like imposter syndrome, was um, my senior year. I was in a Spanish class, and I was one of maybe only four Black people Mm-hmm. And I was definitely one of only maybe, I think four Black people and only three of them were Black women. And I was one of those three. Mm-hmm. And I would literally dread going to that class because the teacher also played a part in me feeling like I was not smart enough to be there. Mm-hmm. 
a Spanish five like honors class. Mm -hmm. So of course we're expected to work to a certain caliber, like a certain degree. So the sometimes the teacher would make small comments or my peers would make small co comments. It would make me question my own intelligence. Like, am I even supposed to be in this class? Or kind of like, you know, yeah, am I intelligent enough to be sitting here with these other students, especially my white peers? Mm -hmm. And looking back, I recognize it as an imposter sy syndrome, but in that moment, it just felt like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. Like it was a lot of self-doubt, just like, I don't know who put me in this class, but they messed up, not recognizing that I did the work that I needed to do to be there in the first place. Um, I think you bring up a really good point because a big like component of imposter syndrome is belittling your accomplishments and value when you're in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And just for, you know, the folks who don't live in Maplewood, South Orange, or really know the neighborhood, um, Maplewood, South Orange, where we're from, um, is a predominantly white community. You know, it prides itself in being incredibly diverse and is one of the most liberal and progressive areas in literally the entire country. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's difficult talking about these types of topics coming from a neighborhood like this, because a lot of people who live here or who are from this area think that it can't happen here. Like we're immune to these types of, you know, things, whether it's like racism, exactly. sexism, homophobia, all those different types of things. People think, oh, it's map, so it can't happen here. You know, that's what we pride ourselves in. And like, you know, likewise to me, I think for me, my, I, I didn't really understand what imposter syndrome felt like until I got to college and then look back on our high school, middle school and elementary school experiences and realize that yeah. I was experiencing imposter syndrome. But I, my first, I first became aware that I was, you know, experiencing that phenomenon looking back on myself in third grade in Miss Kent's class, actually. But I, it was either, it was a third or fourth grade. It was either third or fourth grade. And basically at our elementary schools, the public elementary schools in our, in our neighborhood, um, there's, there's these, I don't know if they still have them, but there's these programs called enrichment programs where basically yes. <laughs> the like five to seven or 10, however many students are plucked out of um, like a regular third grade, fourth grade class and taken to a separate classroom to essentially learn more stuff in an enriched manner. Like it was done for the kids who like apparently or supposedly or apparently had more potential in certain subjects. Yeah, or so, quote unquote gifted. Yes, gifted, yes, gifted, that's the word. And I was in, um, I think language arts enrichment, English enrichment, something like that. Again, only black girl in that, in that classroom. It was like seven, eight people. And I didn't even realize that I was literally feeling imposter syndrome as a nine-year-old girl. When I would mm. go into that classroom, one, I was confused as to why I was there because I'm like, there's no way I'm supposed to be here. Two, I would not talk in the class at all because I felt like everything I had to say was not valid. And I literally was so shy and felt so unworthy that it manifested itself into apparently my performance where I wasn't called to come back into enrichment the next year. So that was, I think, 
the first time, like looking back on my childhood, that was definitely the first time that I experienced imposter syndrome that I'm aware of. And And that's so crazy that happened so young. Yeah, right here in liberal progressive Maplewood, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I don't wanna, you know, talk talk too much about, you know, high school experiences, elementary school, middle school, but, you know, same experience as you, Tam. Like I took some AP and honors classes in high school and <laughs> I can list the amount of classes on the, on like on both hands where I was the only black woman in that room, or I was one mm. of maybe five or four. And this is supposed to be some very progressive town, right? So it's like, it was very telling. And I think the only class that I felt like I belonged like as in like I was confident in myself, I was talking and everybody knew I was gonna talk when I was in that class was AP United States history. And you could you could vent to me about that. I could vent to anyone about that class for forever. But that class I think gave me my confidence back, right? It made me realize that like, okay, like I, I'm belonging here. And then again, like, you know, don't wanna occupy this time too much, but like kind of what I touched on in the first episode I look back and I think I'm like, you know, the classes where I was one of the few black women or black people or person of color in that class. And I remembered not being remembered for my intellect, but people would remember me in the class because, oh, Raina's showing up late. Raina mm. is going to finesse. Raina's all buddy buddy with the teacher. Never was I remembered for my academic accomplishments. And that inherently made me feel like I didn't belong because I. Yeah got there because oh the teacher liked me oh everyone knows Mr. Campbell loves Raina yeah she's good to go but no one actually felt like I was worthy to sit in that seat because I'm equally as smart as anybody else in that classroom but like you said it's crazy that you were so young and remember feeling that kind of feeling you weren't able to exactly like put your finger on what it was called or you were so too young to realize what you were feeling or experiencing But growing up in this school system, in this town, like you said, it's not something that's usually talked about because we are so progressive and liberal and people think things like that can't happen here. Mm -hmm. And going back to, you know, um, what you were saying about your AP classes and your honors classes being some of the one of the only black people in that class. We're talking about classes that are like 25 to 30 students like Columbia didn't have small classrooms. So being one of the only Black people, um, I feel like you kind of naturally have this like, okay, I am, I mean, at least speaking for me, when I was in that classroom, it was already slightly uncomfortable being that I was one of the only people that looked like me. Mm-hmm. And knowing that because of that, certain people in that class would question why I was there. Mm-hmm. So like you said, I kind of internalized that. It kind of affected my work. And it didn't help that, you know, the teacher was kind of playing into that because I can definitely say that was one of the worst classroom experiences I've been in due to a teacher. Mm -hmm. And kind of segueing into my college experience, experiencing that my senior year, like literally up until my day of graduation from high school, I kind of had a warped idea of um, classroom dynamics. I mean, also we didn't, experience like what having a professor in a college setting was like but um I had a different view of how a classroom like operated so then going to an HBCU and not having that feeling at all 
when I entered spaces or when I was in a classroom was like what I needed mm-hmm. from a standpoint of being able to perform to my best ability. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, it's, I don't know, it's just being, going from that to like going to some place where, you know, everyone kind of looks like me and an HBCU definitely is a community where it's like, you know, they treat you like family. Mm-hmm. It's definitely what I needed as a young scholar, someone that wanted to pursue higher education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And kind of to backpedal a little bit, you know, back in the discussion of, you know, teacher student relationship and, you know, that, that high school kind of idea and, and, you know, progressive liberalness, all that stuff. I get, we'll, we'll unpack this in another episode, but, you know, for a, a, a community that claims to be so progressive, so diverse, so inclusive, we had a segregation lawsuit happening right under our noses about this very yes. education, educational pipeline. Why are lower classes, lower level classes predominantly filled with black students? Why is that a thing? Why is Tamia the only black girl in her upper level class? Like, you know what I mean? So like, we'll definitely unpack that. But, you know, you talking about, you know, that coming from from this environment in high school to going to an HBCU is a, it's a completely different experience. It's so different than MAPSO. And, you know, you would think that, mm-hmm. you know, that MAPSO would make you feel like you're welcome or you're, you could pride yourself in the classroom like an HBCU does because that's what we claim to be. But that's not the case is what you're kind of saying here, right? Yeah, exactly that. And I think even leading up to my graduation, what I experienced in my classrooms, especially senior year, really made me be like, oh, this is exactly why I chose mm-hmm. an HBCU. Like I, with that whole experience with the teachers and some of my classes, I was like, this exactly explains why I chose my mm-hmm. school. Because I like that feeling of, you know, that community and family and feeling like, you know, not uncomfortable and out of place in some of my classes. And like, you know, I have someone that can listen to me and help me in a way that some of the teachers in my high school were not able to. So it kind of solidified my choice and made me feel like I made that correct choice for myself, especially after my freshman year. I was like, yeah, this is this is literally what I needed coming, especially from my senior, specifically my senior year, I think was the worst with my imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I can say that I've (laughs) had a completely opposite experience than you going to a predominantly white institution and particularly one that is named after a slaveholder if we want to get all technical. Mm. You know, George Washington University, George Washington, man, president who used his slave's teeth to for his dentures, that's where I'm going to school, right? And that's mm-hmm. not to belittle like the pride that I have in my school because I love my education. I can't imagine myself going anywhere else. But there's caveats to that, right? I mean, our student center is named after a segregationist. Cloyd Heck yeah. Marvin, our student center, the Marvin Center, is named after the president of GW who literally refused to admit black students, right? Mm. So that ultimately has made my imposter syndrome, I think, it, it has skyrocketed. Like the first minute I stepped onto campus, I like, yeah, I was confident in my abilities. And then I'm stepping on the campus. I'm just like, oh, look at all these people around me. I'm literally always discounting my value here. 
Like, I feel mm-hmm. like I wasn't smart enough to get here. So I have to make it look easy and prove that I earned my spot here. Like, I'm not a fraud. I'm not fake. Like, I, I'm here. Like, I earned my right to be here. And I think up until, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's ever going to go away. If you want me to be real here. Mm-hmm. But I think oh, up until now, like, I'm talking like fall 2020, fall 2020 semester at GW. That's when I started to actively unlearn those things about myself. And it manifested in a positive way in terms of my grade performance this semester. I did exponentially better this semester, you know, actively confronting my imposter syndrome. And, you know, it's just so crazy how our experiences are so different because of the type of institution that we're going to. And I I mean, it's difficult. It's very, it's really difficult because there's been now that like, you know, I went from, you know, only, only black girl and, you know, AP whatever class or maybe one of like five or six okay fine now flip the switch you're really the only one now you're you're one out of 200 now you're one out of 60 now like you're like now it's obvious now I'm like sticking out like a sore thumb and there's people from all over the country here and it's this is not like this isn't Kansas anymore type you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. like I don't know things have changed yeah and if anything you know, like you said, going to that more like magnified kind of like now I'm one of 200, it makes you feel like, or the fact is they question you more. Mm-hmm. Like there's more of that kind of, oh, how did she get here? Affirmative kind of action. Affirmative yeah. action. So like, I don't know. And kind of going back to um, what I said about going from MAPSO to an HBCU, um, there was actually a day in my um it was actually commitment day of senior year and it's so weird because um like I said there's that competitive kind of like culture from MAPSO the whole day like you know we were taking pictures in our shirts and like I'm proudly wearing my Morgan shirt I'm taking pictures with everyone else from Columbia that um committed to HBCUs and I think we had we had a good amount of students in our class commit to HBCUs more than I've seen from other classes so it was like a really exciting day And then I think that class was probably my second or third class of the day. And then going from like a high of feeling so like, oh, I'm so proud of my decision to about to walk into that classroom being like, oh, I don't want them to ask me where I'm going. Mm -hmm. It was so, it was just like, it made me recognize like, oh, when I go into this classroom, like these, a lot of these school students are going to like top 10. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to these big universities across the country, like top 10, like so competitive. And then when I walk in here, one, I already know I'm probably going to have to explain what HBCU is. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to look down on me on my decision that I chose an HBCU. Right. So it was even that, like feeling like, you know, kind of an imposter in the sense of like, oh, I, my decision or my commitment to my school isn't valid compared to theirs. Mm-hmm. So literally that imposter syndrome was like throughout my whole year, leading up to that like last day. Right. And then having that completely flipped as soon as I entered my HBCU was crazy. And I mean, imposter syndrome also manifests in different ways. I feel like it doesn't just have to be from like, you know, from, well, at least for us, a lot of it is comparable to like us being some of the only black students and comparing ourselves to our white peers. So not saying I haven't experienced a slightest bit of it in my school, but it's just completely different than what it was when I was in high school. And I feel like it's less magnified. It's not as intense as when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I, I definitely agree. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just crazy to think that, you know, going to college or anything that you decide to pursue post like high school graduation or whatever point of, of life you're in right now, all of those things are an accomplishment. So the fact that mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, you're literally belittling your, your choice of school because it's predominantly black or you have to explain it to other people is it's, it's mind boggling. Honestly, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's simply like the fact that like, you know, we're still here and still dealing with that is like, you know, it, it's crazy. And I don't know. I kind of feel like for me, like when it comes to imposter syndrome, I feel like the way that it manifests itself for me is overwork. Like I do mm-hmm. way more than I have to do. Try to make it look like it's easy and I can handle it all. And therefore at the same time, discounting its value. So they'll be like, Oh, Raina, you did this. I'm just like, yeah, it was whatever. Like, yeah. like making it seem like it comes easy to me. So I'm not like, so, so I'm not, you know, I'm not fake. I'm not an imposter. I'm not this. I'm not that. Like, okay. Like she really, she does belong here. So let me like, exactly. I drag myself to the mud to prove to you that I can sit in the same seat as you. And I definitely experienced that specifically with internship applications. And I don't want to get too into the weeds with this too much, but you know, I think I constantly found myself comparing myself to white applicants and to my white peers in measuring my worth in terms of, can I get this position? Am I good enough to get this position? Like I remember Mm -hmm. summer going into, um, um, 2019 summer 2019 yeah I was fiending for an internship I was everyone around me was getting one all of my peers at GW they were getting one and I just couldn't seem to get one I just couldn't seem to get one and I was devaluing myself because I was so obsessed with trying to find something I think I applied to like I kid you not like over 80 internships 80 bro 80 And the one office that called me back didn't offer me a a summer internship. They offered me a fall internship and it was for a member of Congress who is black, right? Nothing on my resume really Mm -hmm. besides lifeguarding and like babysitting and like a couple, like, like I did some volunteer work at, at GW, nothing much and not a good application, but that office saw something in me. And even when I got to that mm-hmm. internship and I felt at home with them and they were, you know, it was such a great experience. And I still talk to those connections like all the time. I was sitting there, like sitting next to one of my peers who's like, you know, she's older than me. She has all these experiences under her belt. And I'm just like, dang, I really do not belong here. How, how is it that I, I lifeguarded and I'm here right now? Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a fraud. So now let me overwork and, and prove to them that I'm worthy of being here when they know I, when they knew I was, because they wouldn't have accepted me if I wasn't. Exactly. And I literally, that's, I completely agree with that. Like if you weren't supposed to be there, you wouldn't have right. gotten that opportunity. And I feel like I'm the same way. Like if, um, my my imposter syndrome is kind of like okay i'm going to be the closest mm-hmm. thing to perfect so that people know that i am capable of holding this space mm-hmm. of being in this space 
And like you said, that's just overworking, like really doing the most, like going above and beyond so that you can prove that you're Mm -hmm. supposed to be there. And it's like, we shouldn't have to like feel like that or do that. I mean, most, a lot of it is like self-doubt, but then there is kind of like an aspect of like what people project onto you. Right. Like if I never experienced someone treating me like I wasn't supposed to be there, I probably wouldn't feel like I'm not supposed to be there. Oh yeah, completely. And I think that experience differs with your identity, whether that's like your class standing, your your race or just other aspects, it's all intersectional. So how you ever, however you feel in that space is probably going to be intersectional with how you identify. Um, I think that's super important. But I mean, I guess kind of to transition here. So what what would you say are like, I mean, I kind of said this before, like there's, I don't think you can ever successfully overcome imposter syndrome. Like it's never going to go away. Michelle yeah. Obama said that too. So like, if she said it, that means it's true. But whatever. love Michelle. <laughs> Anyways. So what, what would you say are like some successful ways or like semi-successful or just like tips to like, how, how can people who are feeling these same ways, like, you know, kind of like break this down or, you know, feel worthy. Yeah. So so like you said, like we, we're still kind of dealing with it ourselves. And it's like, a, well, the fact that we have to first confront that it is imposter syndrome. It's not just like, you know, oh, I'm just I'm a little anxiety, self-doubt, like, you know. What a word. Yeah, but first acknowledging it. And then after I acknowledge it, I was like, okay, you know, I really need to start also acknowledging my commit, like how my achievements, basically, mm-hmm. like getting that internship, like you said, or receiving an A in that class, or just kind of the small things, acknowledging them and giving yourself kind of like a pat on the back, being like, I worked for that. And I deserve that out. I deserved that outcome will helped me be like, you know, I'm not a fraud. Like, how can I be a fraud if I literally just sat here for two, two hours doing the work to get that outcome? Right. Right. And yeah, that's, that's just how that's for me. Cause like you said, we're still dealing with it. I don't have like, you know, we're not gonna have like all the answers, but for me, acknowledging those achievements and, you know, recognizing that can't be a fraud. If I literally just sat here and did all this work for it, or I wouldn't be here if it wasn't meant for me. So. Yeah, I definitely agree with what, what you're saying here. And I think kind of what you literally just said, praising your accomplishments as little as they may seem like just praising yourself for everything that you do, giving like loving yourself more, like giving yourself Mm -hmm. grace where it's due is really important. Cause kind of like what we talked about in our last episode is like, when you speak light in life into everything that you do, it'll, it'll, the outcome and and your mental, when you're going into certain things will change. So like speaking those positive things in the air is very, very, very helpful, I think. And, you know, at the end of the day, like it's like, there's no, there's no cure to imposter syndrome. There, not one thing is going to just fix it, but you know, definitely self praise and, you know, talking to other people about it, especially your peers, I think really helps. I know that if I'm feeling, you know, I'm doubting myself or I'm feeling like incredibly upset about something that I know is related to imposter syndrome. I know that I can talk to my friends about it 
and mm-hmm. they'll they'll you know we could talk about it together for one and for two my friends can tell me when to slow down my family can tell me when to slow down like you know other people can see you better from the outside sometimes and they can be like I could be like to me you're doing way too much right now like let's, yeah. like let's backpedal here and like we can confront each other on it be like I know that this is a lot right now and we have to chase this bag right now but you're doing really good and I'm proud of you like simple things like mm-hmm. that can really actively change how imposter syndrome manifests in your day-to-day life or just at all, really. Really, like I I completely agree because a part of imposter syndrome is putting other people on a pedestal and you on a lower one. Mm -hmm. It's seeing people as like, oh, they're doing so much better than me or at least from my imposter syndrome from what I've experienced. It's like, they're doing so much better than me. I don't deserve to be in this space because they're doing so much better. Mm -hmm. Or from what I'm seeing, it seems like they're doing so much better. Mm -hmm. When in reality, they are literally just as human. Like they're not a perfect person. Like, okay, they might have a few more achievements under their belt or what you might quantify as like achievements. They might have that. But just like how, you know, I had to put the work in for certain things. They had to put the work in for certain things. Right. And at the end of the day, they're still human. Like there's human error. I'm sure they probably look at some people and they're like, oh, they're on a pedestal and I'm lower than this. And they have imposter syndrome. So it's just kind of realizing that, um, you know, you're, you don't have to put your, you don't have to look at someone and put them on this high pedestal and you on a lower one because you're comparing yourself to them or comparing like a situation or comparing like, how did I get in this space when you're in it? Because at the end of the day, you're there for a reason and- like we said in episode one, your journey isn't linear. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I guess to kind of like my final thoughts, a little wrap up one, you it's don't go into, you know, dissecting your own imposter syndrome as it being the cure. Like you're never going, like you'll stress yourself out more trying to figure it out. It's such a complex thing. But I would say my biggest takeaway from this right now is like, you know, self-love, praise, talk to your people Mm -hmm. and have conversations about this. I think having conversations about this and humanizing imposter syndrome and making it more relatable and you talk to more people and you find out, oh, you really had that experience too. Oh my gosh, me too. Like, then we can really talk about it more and figure out what we could do about it. But, you know, all the answers can't be said in, in 30, 40 minutes, but yeah. Yeah, like all the answers can't be said. And of course, we're not going to have like all the answers. Like we're going through it with you guys as well. But yeah, like it's just, it's a tough thing to kind of like dissect and deal with because it doesn't involve a lot of self-doubt and kind of like, kind of like self-deprecation too. So um, catching it and realizing what it is um, helps. And then from there figuring out, you know, this, I know that, I'm where I need to be for me right now. And I'm going to put the work I need to do to get where I want to be. And me feeling like I'm less than or a fraud is not like as valid. Like, you know, like I'm not less than and I'm not a fraud because I've done the work that I've needed to do to be in the position I'm in. And I'm going to continue doing that to get to where I want to be. What a word, preacher. What a word. Thank you. Thank you. A few snaps for that. Mm -hmm, What a word. And with that being said, thank you for joining us this week. We hope to see, well, not see you. I hope you guys tune in again next week. And yes, ma'am. So yes, happy 2021 again. First episode of the new year. Um, We hope everyone has a safe and prosperous 2021 as the year goes on. Because we're going to be right here with you guys through it. Mm Mm-hmm. And we hope you guys are going to be right here with us through it. Mm -hmm. 
so we can hear what we have to say. Yes, sir. But yes, to me, signing off. Mm, signing off. And see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.